Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 90. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them, but I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up in all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible. And you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from. You can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible and make your smartphone smarter. Well, I'm so thrilled to have on my show today Amber Barno. She's a conservative writer and commentator. Her articles have been published in various news sites. You may have seen them in The Daily Caller, The Commentator, Concerned Veterans for America and the Examiner, Examiner, with topics that include national security, military, politics, women's issues, and veterans' issues. She's been featured on TV and radio, such as Fox News, America Live with Megyn Kelly, Fox and Friends, Real News on the Blaze TV, ABC News, The Blaze Radio, David Webb Show, Will Cow Majority, The Ernie Brown Show, and co-hosted the USAA's annual Veterans Day celebration. She served in the United States Army as an OH-58 Delta Kiowa Warrior hel- helicopter pilot for almost eight years. And she served in combat during deployments to Iraq for Operation Iraqi Freedom and Afghanistan and for Operation Enduring Freedom. During her service as a pilot, she earned the title of Pilot in Command and Air Mission Commander. And she has extensive experience in security and reconnaissance operations. Amber, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Hi, thanks. It's great to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you on the show. It's always fun when I get a fellow aviator. I always like talking about aviation and and a lot of my listeners on the show have heard me talk about how important aviation has been to my leadership philosophy and my background. I didn't, like I was telling you in the pre-interview here, that I didn't realize how much the Marine Corps in aviation taught me about leadership until I was away from it. I took it for granted. I'm curious, you know, aviation is important in your family history and, of course, in your military background. Did you have the same experience as I did? I absolutely did. I I'm a firm believer that the military doesn't get enough credit for what it does for people. I really think that, you know, people associate the military and veterans, you served your country, and that's really it. They don't go into um, what the military actually gives each person that serves. And for me, I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about how to work with others and what makes people tick on a daily basis and the good and bad sides of leadership. And when you're in the military, you really get tried and tested, and you, you just, it has so much to do with your personal development, and uh, I wish more people would see it as that, um, rather than just the tidbit parts of the military. From the big picture, though, it has, it, 
I'm very thankful for my time that I got to do in the military. Yeah, I share that sentiment with you, and I understand what you mean completely about the perceptions people have. It's kind of funny, and it's also a great opportunity to, to share with people. I think um, a lot of people, especially on the Marine Corps side, they thought, well, it was all about you know blind allegiance to orders and kind of this command and c- control structure. And there's certainly elements of that, but I've never worked in a more creative, um, more open, more... Um, encouraging me to be challenging of authority than than it was in the Marine Corps. I don't. Did you have that same experience with the Army? Um, I I definitely my experience in the, in the military was I went from a civilian to flight training. So we, we refer to it as um, street to seat or uh, civilian to flight school. Um, so I really had a large amount of training thrown in my direction at once. So not only was I learning um, officer um, and leadership qualities, I was learning about the military in general and just what it, everything that you have to learn from, you know, drill and ceremony to wearing the uniform to the structured lifestyle that I wasn't used to. And then on top of that, um, learning every single thing I can about uh, my future aircraft that I will be I will be flying. So my first few years, um, I definitely was not challenging authority that much. I was just taking yeah, it all in and learning as much as I possibly could. Yeah, you're drink, drinking from a I fire hose. A yeah. few years in, and I was um, a pilot in command of my aircraft. I deployed or during my deployments. Um, you really do have to get to that point where you have to stand up for yourself and your crew and what is right at that particular moment, and um, I think that's what makes good aviators and makes good leaders and officers is you being willing to stand up for what's right and making those split-second decisions as you often have to in combat on deployment, um, wherever that may be. Um, so, yeah, it was sort of a, a learning curve for me, but def- definitely in the military, you're, you're not going to get very far if you're essentially just a yes man. You have to be able to stand up to your superiors and your uh, officers above you if if you want to move forward. Yeah. I'm curious about kind of going back as like um, we were talking earlier that, you know, your whole family is associated with aviation. You grew up around it. What prompted you to go the military route? Well, I grew up in an aviation family. My dad was an airline pilot. Um, for many years, my mom was a civilian pilot. She had all of her ratings up to um, uh, an instrument instructor pilot, and she also worked in the airlines as a flight attendant. Um, and so I grew up going to air shows. I grew up seeing um, different aspects of military aviation. So at a young age, I definitely caught the flying bug, but... Um, after high school, I, I went the traditional route. I went to college. I actually became a cheerleader, <laughs> and I was enjoying my time um, in college. But there was there was a point where the idea of sitting behind a desk as a job it was it was awful to me. It, it wasn't something I was interested in. And then nine eleven happened while I was in school, and I just really felt um, the desire to be a part of something greater and to um, serve a purpose. And I've always been patriotic, like I said, about growing up um, with an aviation and military family. Um, And I started looking at flight programs um, 
to see, you know, if any of them were a fit for me. And the, the Army actually was a perfect fit for me. Um, I applied to the, the, the war officer programs and I got selected. Um, but before that, I really wanted to say um, my family had a large part to do with it. Um, so there's, there's three of us. I have an older and a younger sister. And we have this ritual in my family where we go to breakfast with my dad nearly every morning. And it's like, you know, 30 minutes of wisdom with my dad every morning. And we just grew up loving it. And my dad really um, instilled in us from a very early age that we weren't any different than anyone else, um, especially when it comes to women. Uh, he would always use my mom as an example for a female role model about how when she was in the 60s and she was so interested in flying, and she did. She got all of her civilian stuff, but she wasn't able to fly for the airlines or to fly in the military, and she would have been great at it. So I, I think growing up and hearing that and having him tell us about, you know, because of the era that we were born in, we have all the opportunities in the world. Go out and do something with your life. The opportunities there, it's just up to you um, to figure out how to apply that to your life and your own specific path. And then, and, and then my mom's side of it was, you know, never feel sorry for yourself. Um, she, she just really gave me that go get it for yourself um, type attitude. So just, just combined, it was, you know, you set your mind to it. You think you can, um, you know, set your goal, whatever that may be. And then achieve it. You're responsible for the outcome of it. And uh, I guess you can say I did that, and I, I ended up as a Kyle Warrior helicopter pilot. <laughs> I love that. I love that story. Love, and of course, you know, we were talking earlier, I am the father of four daughters and in the midst of trying to tell them all those things. So I love how that, uh, especially your father and your mother, too, were so impactful, especially for you as a woman, to make sure that you, you know, you're you didn't set your sights too limited, that you had that unlimited potential. I love that. And I think it's an important lesson for all of us as leaders that we are more impactful uh, than we think when we're in those roles, especially as parents. So I love that story. That's great that uh, that you shared that with us. You need to talk to my daughters and tell them the same thing. Cause... I would love to. <laughs> I, yeah, I, People often ask me you know, the exact same question, how did I get interested in aviation and um, a lot of times I I've been in um, I think maybe two weeks after I turned 21 so uh, I was still fairly young I was in Iraq by the time I was 23 and I just remember so many of my friends uh, where I grew up I grew up in a very rural town um, in Washington State and it was just unheard of like I was I was definitely looked at from like <laughs> are you sure you know what you're doing joining the military are you sure you want to do this a lot of people I think thought I was crazy but there was a few that were really like admired what I was doing and I think it's so important for people to get out of your comfort zone you know if you yes. don't ever get out of your comfort zone no one, no one's going to do it for you. You, you're responsible for the experiences that you have in life, and and having that go-get attitude that I talked about ahead of time. Um, and and I do, I I have a hard time settling. I want to experience more. I want to help more. And uh, 
I, I think it's important for people to get out of their comfort zone um, because you're only going to grow. You're only going to have new experiences and learn new things, um, which which I think is important for us as human beings. Absolutely. And I think you, you hit on something that's just near and dear to my heart and what you said is you've got to get out of your comfort zone. Well, so many times people ask me, how do you raise your leadership capabilities, your abilities? And I always go back to what you just said, is you've got to get out of the comfort zone. Because the growth zone is not in the comfort zone, just like you said. You're only going to grow when you get out of it. And uh, I use the old analogy, and people have probably heard this time and time again, but it's so true. The example I give is you want to learn how to become a better golfer. What do you do? Do you call your drinking buddies? Or do you call, mm-hmm. be- or do you call better golfers? You call better golfers, and and it's not un, it's not comfortable because you don't know them. They're better than you, but that's how you become better. And so I love that you highlighted that point. Is like you've got to get in the growth zone, and that is not in the comfort zone. So, amen to that. And I think that's inc- that's a key, key essential to leadership. Did you have any uh, after the experiences, and especially after flying over there? in combat, did you have any aha leadership moments then, or did it really, did the insight and the wisdom come after you're away from it all? Um, I would definitely say both. I, I made pilot in command when I was actually in Iraq. Um, so before I had, from the time I went from flight school to Iraq, um, I had a year in between where I was just training up with my unit. And, and that was very much, uh, like hitting the ground running and never stopping as far as um, flight school may teach you how to fly, but when sports you to your unit, it teaches you about your mission and what you're actually going to be doing because flying is just a very, flying is just wiggling the sticks. There's so much more that goes into it. So um, once I got uh, to Iraq and uh, we were actually, you know, doing the mission that we've been training for up until this point, uh, I ended up taking my track ride to piloting command. And I would say at that point, um, my leadership style was tested, and uh, it was all on me at that point. You're responsible for every decision that's made inside the cockpit and sometimes out of it when you, you know, when you collaborate with ground forces and um, make the Air Force um so that was the first time um, I would say that my leadership skills were really tested and my learning curve, from the time that I uh, became a pilot in command, my learning curve just went um, to the roof. It was huge as, as far as what I learned. And I've heard that before, you know, you don't, uh, you're not really going to learn anything until you've got the reins and, and you're actually doing it. Yeah. Um, and that was definitely true for me. And then when I... When I got out of the Army in 2010, um, and looking back on it uh, from an outside perspective, sort of, I guess you don't know what you're capable of until you're put into a position that you just have to do it. And I think that... um, I think that I sort of surprised myself. You do things that... You don't think you're capable of um, decisions that you think would have never had to make. And then, so looking back at it, I was like, okay, you know, I did that for nearly eight years. And and so I, I think that it's, you learn so much about yourself. Um, you, 
become a stronger person because of it. And, um, yeah. Yeah. You, you, I, I mean, you're speaking my language for sure. I mean, I, I know you think you know a lot about aviation, a lot about leadership, what it means to be in command. But then when you finally sign the papers and you're the first one, you start hearing things you never heard before, you know, smelling things you never felt before, you seeing things you never seen before. It's a whole different experience. But, guy, you're hitting on so many great points. And, and again, even if you're, you don't have to be a pilot, obviously, to experience these things. I mean, they're so analogous to leadership in every type of position, especially if a new leader gets thrust into a new position and it's their first time. It's kind of like the same um thing when you become that you know aircraft commander or that pilot in command for the first time it does test you and i think yeah. and it's normal and i think it's especially important for the listeners if they're in leadership roles for the first time it is a lot of unknowns and you do learn a lot about yourself did you feel like your position um i know it was for me and a lot of early leaders they were heavily reliant upon their position their experience and their knowledge you soon learn on, and uh, did you have that same experience that it's really not about the position, the title, or even your experience? It's how much you care for people. Any experiences like that in your leadership growth, uh, especially in the military? Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the most important things that I've learned is you have to lead by example. Uh, no one's going to respect you or take you seriously or be motivated by you as a leader if you say one thing and you do another. Yeah. Um, so that, that I think is one of um, the most important things that I've learned. And, and to really um, know yourself as a leader, um, never thinking you're better than anyone else, and, um, and, and always putting, uh, even in the military, you know, selfless service, always putting others before yourself. And uh, that, that's, means the people that are um, working for you as well. And so uh, I think it's important to show that you're willing to listen um, in, in not just an aviation setting, but in, in any sort of like leader type setting. And one thing I want to hit on as well, um, as far as just leadership and growth goes, is uh, just like you said, it doesn't necessarily matter on your position or um, the, the job that you actually are in, um, you are going to make mistakes. And every single mistake that you made, it's worth it as long as you are able to take away from that and learn from that uh, and and be a better person and a better leader for it. Um, so never giving up, I think, is a, is a huge um I guess, skill to have, and just knowing that um, just because you failed at one thing doesn't mean you're a failure at life. You know, dust yourself off, get back up, um, and and figure out what really matters, and make the corrections, and do it again. Uh, as, as a leader, I think that's very important for subordinates uh, to see, that just because things don't go right, uh, because the majority of the time they don't, uh, it's how you how you react and the decisions that are made um, when that happens. That, that I think, is, is really what is tested with leadership. Yeah, I love that, too. The authenticity and not being afraid to fail, I think, is so key. Probably one of the biggest takeaways I got from the military that's helped me in life in general is, like you just said, things never go according to plan, so get used to it. And your resiliency and your ability to be flexible in those situations 
are key to be a successful leader. I love all the things that you're saying there. What about maybe some of what any dark moments in there? Any kind of like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? Um, I'm not cut out for this. Uh, any any moments? Share with the listeners where you really questioned yourself and and kind of overcame some doubt and fear. Um. Yeah, well, definitely there was, there was some fear with uh, deploying. Um, my first deployment, I would definitely say I was a little bit more naive. Um, most people won't admit that uh, on a deployment, but you really are. If you've never deployed before, you are naive into what you're getting yourself into because you've never gone to war before. So you it's, it's the fear of the unknown. It's not knowing what situations you're going to be involved in. Uh, you can train... Uh, all day long, but until you're actually in a situation, um, it's the real deal. You know, you you're not going to know until it's actually there. So there were there were times on my deployment uh, that it definitely got a little bit heated as far as engagement goes, uh, different scenarios like that. But um, when I when I came home from Iraq, we only had about 15 months before. Uh, we knew that we were going to deploy back to Afghanistan. So as far as like a dark or a down time for me was definitely, um, you know, I came home from Iraq. The first three months were pure bliss. I'm back in America. And that was enough as far as my life went. Meant, um, it was just to be home here um, with my family. Um, but that. But knowing that I was going right back to Afghanistan for a year, I knew how long a year could be. And I really don't, like, unless you've done a year long, some some people have even had to do 15 months long deployments, you really don't know how long a year can be until you do it on the, on the deployment. And uh, so I, I knew, and I, I just had that lingering over my head, and, and that was definitely... Um, that was definitely something, I guess, to deal with. But staying busy and just training back up, it was hard um, to not have a break because a lot of people uh, got to the point where they would say, can we just hurry up and deploy? Can we just hurry up and get this over with? Because being at home was so stressful and so um, the training cycle was so rigorous and um, demanding that it was like, can we just go to the deployment zone because it's almost more relaxed as far yeah. as... Uh, the offense, um, yeah, the anticipation part. of getting ready to go is just almost an added stressor. You know, it's just yeah, I can understand that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then once you're deployed, you're just you're doing your job. Yes, you're gonna have, you have stressful moments, and um, but the but the clock is already ticking. The, the countdown has begun once you're over there. So, um, yeah. Well, obviously, it's it's clear that those experiences have helped shape you where you are where you are today what is driving your passion now i mean obviously um leadership is central to your life and it's taking you to the next step what are you involved in now what are you passionate about now well my passion now is writing and if you knew me three years ago you would probably laugh at that because when i got out of the army in 2010 um i was you know i was having to make the decision do I want, well, I guess you could say I, for a few months I had been on the job hunt and this whole civilian lifestyle um, was very new to me and applying for jobs, it was all brand new. It was like I was either applying for college or applying for jobs right out of college. 
So it was, it was all very new to me. And uh, I had my eyes opened a little bit in the 2010 job market. And I decided to go to grad school uh, instead of immediately searching for a job. So, of course, at grad school, I ended up writing nonstop. And that was probably the biggest deterrent for me from going to grad school in the first place, was just uh-huh. the writing. It wasn't my thing. And throughout grad school, two years of writing nonstop, I began to love it. I absolutely loved it. I ended up uh, doing a job as a government contractor at the same Army base that I'd been my entire time. And my, I would say that was the biggest, aside from just the whole military civilian transition, uh, working for a government organization outside of the military and just seeing the policies and I'm going to say waste yeah. <laughs> and a lot, just, just the way they operate on a day-to-day basis. It really opened my eyes. I started paying attention to the world around me and politics and I just decided somebody needs to say it so it might as well be me and I started writing uh, political commentary and that's where it's gotten me today. So where do you think the state is? I mean, I'm with you. You get out of the – it's kind of funny how um, people who come from the military branch in the biggest kind of government organization there is are – and I've seen the waste too and I've seen uh, the bureaucracy and the hypocrisy. And somehow though the military seems to kind of be a little bit more entrepreneurial than you see in some of the uh, civilian corporate side. I mean, the civilian uh, government, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, uh, the government contracts. I really think that's the reason that, you know, because the military is a government organization like every other government organization. And I think that the reason the military is so successful and efficient um, is because of the rank structure. And uh, you don't have that in any other form of government organization. Um, you have a standard civilian, like, um, you know, employment hierarchy, but it's right. different than the army system. So I think that, that that's what makes the military uh, stand out and actually be effective at their job and get things done, where a lot of times we see so much gridlock in um, and dysfunction in these other government departments. Well, and I think it's, it is the rank structure, but I think I'd take it a step further in that it is, it is the culture of leadership. That you know, because it is the profession, all the professions and all the branches, uh, the successful side of it, it's it's because they study, and their profession is leadership. You know, regardless of what your MOS is or what your specialty is, at the end of the day, all the branches are professional leaders, and so it is ingrained in you from a very early stage. Um, Absolutely, and it's something that they never stop uh, teaching. Right, like there's leadership development weekly, uh, on a weekly basis, you know, aside from just your day-to-day activities, the military really focuses on training um, young leaders and then continuing their growth um, as far as military leaders. So what do you think the biggest challenge we have um, in this country and is faced from a leadership standpoint? What do you think the the biggest challenge we face is? Uh, I... I think that our number one um, challenge is the debt um, and the lack of leadership that has resulted in so much debt. Um, 
there comes a time when there needs to be some accountability and some responsibility and someone willing to accept the fact that, um, you know, this happened on my watch. I, I need to be um, responsible for it other than turning a blind eye to the problem. Um, so... It, yes. it is yeah it is striking the especially the last couple of years it seems particularly striking and I don't know if it's me or if it's 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 uh, a real or not this this huge lack of accountability on all levels of not accepting accountability for other people's mistakes like it's almost like they don't understand the concept of accountability in every level and it just seems to be getting worse from my perspective I don't know what do you think well, absolutely, and uh, I do a lot of writing for Concerned Veterans for America, and that's something that they are absolutely passionate about, is holding leaders in Washington accountable um, for their actions. And the, in America right now, um, with, with our government, there is a serious stinting addiction, and no one wants to acknowledge it for what it is. Uh, you know, people are more worried about um, the decisions they make to get reelected, instead of doing what they were elected to do, which is to serve our country and make it a better place, not a worse place. And I don't know how many people in America today would think that that's what our politicians are doing. So, yes, accountability is key. We need a leader who is, who is going to make some changes and hold people accountable. Because when you don't, people... People know that there's no repercussions for their actions, and that is that creates a horrible environment and culture inside whatever business you're running. So, what's next for you? Where, where are you uh, taking your writing? Where are you taking your commentating? What, uh, what's next for you? Uh, well, I usually write a weekly uh, opinion piece or blog post. You can find all my work on amberbarno.com, or you can find me on Twitter at. Uh, at Amarvano, but I'm going on a bus tour with Concerned Veterans for America uh, in October. I'm very excited about that. Um, It's getting, I'm not quite sure how many cities that they're going to, but it's it's across America. It's going to be multiple uh, veterans spreading the message um, about CBA and defending freedom. Uh, we're starting in California, and I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I was talking with Kate, uh, with Concerned Vets, who helped facilitate the contact with, with you and I, because I interviewed Pete Hegseth on here, and big fan of Concerned Vets for America. I love what you guys are doing. Um, I, myself, am looking at getting more involved with Concerned Vets. And so, yeah, the bus tour is starting in California in October. Is that correct? Yes. And yes, we're starting in October. And where's, where's it going to end? Do you know where it's going to end? Um, I think it's ending in Virginia. Virginia, okay. So it's going all the way across. All right, very good. Yeah, it's going through California and Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, um, through the south and Florida, and then back up into uh, Virginia, West Virginia area. Well, you always have a welcome voice here in the Dose of Leadership. It was I'm so excited to have met you. Um, it's Amber. I'll have links to this on the post. It's Amber. You mentioned it. Amber AmberBarno.com. Is that right? B A R M. Yep. Yep. And then you're on yeah. Twitter. And anything else that where people can find you anywhere else so we can look for you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. 
website. We'll lead you all there. Too, all right. So. We'll have links to that on the post, and I'm so glad you came on the show. Like I said, I'm, uh, we'll have to have you come back. I'm anxious to see what your bus tour is going to be like. And uh, thanks for sharing your leadership insights and your experience and, and sharing all that stuff with us today. Thanks so much. It was an honor to speak with you. It was great. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.